This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast. Matt Frame, Eric Scope, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition of the Otson Audible's podcast. And today, um, we're not going to talk much NFL draft, even though KT got selected on Thursday. We're going to save that um, for next week once the full draft is done. Um, but nonetheless, congrats to KT getting his name called. Um, always a, a special moment. Uh, but we are going to talk about KT uh, on this podcast um, because in the spring game, guys, I, th- I think all of spring, one of the major discussion points was who's going to step into KT's shoes? Who's going to be that premier pass rushing player on Oregon's team. Some of it's scheme, some of it's player. Um, it's probably unfair to ask if one guy to, to simply just replace all the production. But nonetheless, DJ Johnson dominated the spring game, four sacks, five tackles for loss. And it's generated a discussion point that Eric was like, we need to talk about this, uh, that KT and DJ could be very similar in terms of talent. Yeah, I, I, I think so. The comment was made is that they're pretty close in talent, and I take issue with that. The, the, the question of is the production possibly going to be similar, I think is actually up for debate, and I wouldn't be surprised because, I mean, if you look at what – we'll get to the talent part in a moment here and why I was kind of frustrated, but you look at what Thibodeau did in 2021, seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss. I could see DJ Johnson having a year similar to that. He could have a year maybe even a little better than that. I'm not totally selling that idea. The issue I have is is the talent being comparable because I think I think that's such a disservice to the athlete and the player Kayvon Thibodeau is. And by the way, the reason DJ Johnson in part was playing offense and not playing defensive end, which I think everybody understands is his more natural position, was because he couldn't get into the lineup with Thibodeau here because Thibodeau was just a better player. Um, you know, Thibodeau spent three years at Oregon and was an early, early NFL draft pick, as we learned yesterday. Well, while as TJ Johnson, this is his sixth year of college football, and I'm going to guess his like the best case for him is probably third or fourth round if he has an awesome season, and that's probably reaching too. So, like, I, 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 I saw this kind of narrative around social media, and it's it comes down again to the recency bias thing of when a player has a big moment, it's the immediate thing is to compare him to somebody similar and, and try to, like, qualify and equate them as similar. And I, I just think these two are so far off in terms of, the talent that the narrative that these two are like close, which is what I was saying, or are on this even footing is just ridiculous. I know it was a spring game and, and the stats were awesome and everyone got excited. As we talked about in this podcast, it's not like DJ Johnson was going against Oregon's left tackle, Stephen Jones for the most of the game or right. against Sala for the game. Those players were on the, uh, or either opposite team or other opposite side of the line. Primarily he was going against, um, Fayope Lalu and Bailey Jaramillo. And I don't want to disrespect those two players, but those aren't the players Kayvon Thibodeau is going against in a college football game where he's racking up two sacks or three sacks against 
Utah or UCLA these last couple of years. So I, I got a little bit perturbed by that narrative. I, I snapped a little bit at somebody on the message board because of it. And I kind of just wanted to explain my piece on that because it's not necessarily the production part, because I actually think the scheme will probably provide DJ Johnson opportunity to have a really significant year. Because I do think the way that the simulated pressures operate, he's going to probably be able to deal with more one-on-ones or at least more confusion up front. Whereas I think a lot of the time Kayvon Thibodeau was du- – not a lot. He was most of the time double-teamed, triple-teamed. He was taking the entire attention of a defense. And so the stats weren't as staggering as maybe some people expected. So there's my piece. I know I'm a little bit uh, fired up. But <laughs> I'm just I, mean, I, I literally messaged Matt. I was like, we need to talk about this because I'm, I'm just kind of perturbed by the whole narrative that's being creative. And I want to shoot it down as quick as possible. I mean, we're not trying to be negative to ZJ Johnson. but Yeah, not at all. But – Kayvon Thibodeau was a consensus or a unanimous um, first team All-American. Like that, that is pretty substantial and the talent to be able to do that uh, is pretty ridiculous. And he, he, you know, very, 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 very special player. It's why he went so high in the draft this season. Um, Now to the question that's, we're going to pose here buying or selling um, can, can DJ replicate some of or all of the type of impact that Kayvon Thibodeau produced at Oregon in 2021. Um, he had seven Thibodeau had seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. He had 50 tackles. Um, can, can DJ Johnson replicate those types of numbers? Um, different scheme, different coaching staff, um, different philosophy. So it's not a straight apples to apples comparison here. Um, but buying or selling this. I also want to note, I think we kind of have to like prorate the stats because DJ or uh, Kayvon played 10 games last year, whereas DJ right. play as many as 14 or for really optimistic 15 games. 15, yeah. I mean, that's really optimistic, but, um, I actually am probably pretty close to buying the idea that he can have a season that is similar in like the sack total and the tackles for loss total. I don't think he's going to be as impactful as, in terms of uh, tackles because I think 50 is actually a pretty decent number for a player yes. playing that spot. But I'm not going to be stunned if he has six or seven sacks. I'm really not. And I'm not going to be stunned if he's impactful to 10 or 12 tackles for loss if he's starting and playing as much as we think. I also will say I'm probably now – despite calling out the recency bias and kind of like being a creature of the moment, also probably occupying that space because two weeks ago before the spring game, I would have said this is a ridiculous sentiment. Um, and so right now the fact that I'm like kind of not totally blown, I'll sell, I'll sell the stats won't match, but like I guess the point I was trying to make was like I'm not going to be blown away if it's similar, but then I'm also catching myself being like, I think that's kind of a stupid take. So um, <laughs> So you gotta pick I, one or the other, man. Come on. I'm 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 selling it, but I, I also just want to like acknowledge like I'm not going to be stunned it at all if if DJ gets close. But I also think the stats are like we have to prorate them, so it's probably closer to like ten sacks and fifteen tackles for loss. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, then I'm selling for sure. If we're doing twelve and seven, I'm not stunned if it's in that ballpark. I'm selling hard. I don't think it comes close. But like I think the key word in Matt's question is impact. And while Kayvon Thibodeau did not necessarily get all the stats everybody would have liked him to get in his final year at Oregon, his impact on the offense, the opposing team's offense, is going to be far more significant and far more important 
than anything that DJ Johnson will do. And that's no discredit to DJ Johnson. Let's, you know, we've said this multiple times now on this podcast. We all believe he's a good player. I think he can post, you know, similar-ish stats. He'll be the same type of stats at least. But the impact that Kayvon Thibodeau had at like a unanimous All-American, as Matt said, oh, number one yeah. player out of high school, uh, you know, a high draft pick in yesterday's draft. There's no – I'm selling that idea that he'll be as impactful. I am buying the idea that the defense constructed by Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy will give him plenty of opportunities to be disruptive and wreak havoc and do things like that. But, um, you know, this goes back to, to Eric's original rant, and we love a good Eric Scopel rant on this podcast. Um, there's, there's no comparison here between the two. I think they just happen to play the same position. And that's about all they have in connection with in terms of on-field production. Um, it's just, it's like Matt opened with, it's an apples to oranges thing. This is a, you know, a first round draft pick compared to somebody who's going into a sixth year who's been flip-flopping between defensive end and tight end. So I'm selling the idea that DJ Johnson can make as big of an impact. I'm, I'm selling too. I, I, I will, I will buy if it was, can he make, an impact where he's a consistent pass rusher and a disruptor, um, an all-conference caliber guy. Uh, I, I would buy that, um, but if it's straight up production that KT had, I'm not. I'm not going to buy that. I'm with Jared. I don't think he comes close. Um, I I just think if he was that good, he would have already. He would have gotten on the field even with KT um, at Oregon the last three seasons. Um, if he had you know, KT level production, um, and I, I think DJ Johnson is going to be a good player in 2022. I think he's going to be their number one pass rusher, him or Swinson. Um, but I, I just I, and he may even hear his name called this time, you know, next year on on you know the the, the Saturday you know day of the NFL draft. He he may get drafted. He he's got the physical physical attributes to do it. It's just, I don't, I don't see the all American level production to match cave on Um, all right. Next question here. Uh, buying or selling, uh, Eric came up with this one. Oregon had 23 turnovers in 2021. Um, they've 2020 was a year in which they really struggled to create turnovers. 2019, they were absolutely tremendous um, from a national perspective. So this defense, in the last couple of seasons, um, they certainly have created turnovers. Um, they were they were 23rd in the country, or not 23rd in the country last year, um, but they were they were good at creating turnovers. Will this defense in 2022, again, new defense, new scheme, new philosophies, will they beat that 23 turnover number uh, that Oregon had last season? And what, but before I answer, why this interested me was Oregon forced five in the spring game, and afterwards Dan Lanning suggested, or didn't suggest, he said, of the coaches worked with Tosh Lupoy is the one who's prioritized turnovers the most. And that led to Dan or to Tosh being asked that question a couple of days later about the, the value of, of forcing turnovers and, and how they wanted to be plus one, two, three, and how that correlates with winning and all that. And so I think it's kind of in, in, in the kind of the conversation we've been having this week about forcing turnovers, let's kind of compare and contrast to last year's defense, which I think was ranked top 20 last year in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, 
23 is a good number, by the way. Like, yes, I, uh, I think I set a good over under number here. Um, probably better than I do with the arrival of coaches when they arrive at media availability. And I'm giving an inside joke that nobody listening will understand, but, um, I digress. I, I think I'm going to take, I'm buying more because I'm trying to be real optimistic here. Um, what they are missing without question is that Verone McKinley, who led the country in interceptions last year, that kind of ball hawk at the back end, or at least it's not proven who that is. I will also say, as we talked about on our show a couple of days ago, when we were talking about those safeties at the back end and the combination of Bridges and Addison, is best case with those two is Bridges was a ball hawk in the state of Alabama. Jared ran through that, I think, of the, the all-time leader in the state of Alabama was tied for it at one point. Um, he is the all-time leader. He's still tied. Okay. Uh, all time later. Yeah, he is. He is a very capable in that. We haven't seen it, but he's very capable hypothetically in that area, in that area. Ryan Addison coming out of high school. This is what everybody was raving about was his length and his ability to go make plays on the, on the football. It's why he was a high four star recruit. It's why when he got to Oregon, there was conversation between wide receiver where he ended up starting and defensive back. And now he's a defensive back. Um, this wasn't a DJ Johnson thing with Brian Addison, by the way, of like, is he defense? Is he offense? This was a like legitimate, everyone was like, no one really had a consensus on where Addison fit. I think a lot of people probably thought defense was better, but Oregon was down people at receiver at the time. That was that spring. That was that fall where everybody got hurt. And that's why he started there, I think, or played a role. So I, I look at Addison as someone pure, totally capable of, of filling that role. And then the other part for me is how aggressive this defense aims to be. Um, right. In terms of, of getting after the quarterback and being, you know, a little bit exotic in its approach of getting after the quarterback, of getting up the field with run blitzes, I think they're going to be like, here's probably my guess is the interception total isn't eclipsed, but I bet they force more fumbles and recover more fumbles. And I think it's not going to be by a lot because I think 23 is a really strong number, but I'm going to I'm going to buy that they have 24 or more in, in 22. I think I think this is one that I'll buy. It's a it's a good line, like Eric, like you mentioned. It's a good one. Uh, last year was twenty three, and you know that was nineteenth in the country. That's pretty darn good. Um, they lose from McKinley, but I also feel like the return of Bennett Williams, who theoretically should play a full season, barring injury. I think that's going to be an impactful guy. Um, Bridges, he had thirty six interceptions in high school. <laughs> He knows what he's doing back there. He's a he's a ball hawk to say the least. Addison, you just went through it. I think he's got potential. Um, as as far as the quarterbacks go, I think this is going to be a little harder. Um, you know, they're not always getting interceptions. Most more likely in zone than anything else. Um, but yeah, it's, to me, this all comes down to how aggressive the pass rush is and how aggressive pressure is. Just because you know quarterbacks are more inclined or more susceptible to make mistakes when there's pressure coming at them. And if there's enough pressure coming at them with four or five man fronts um, where they, or Oregon can drop seven or six guys back in the coverage, you know, there's a pretty good chance that there could be an interception thrown. Um, but I'm with you, Eric. I think they force more fumbles than they do interceptions. Um, and I don't think they go over that marker of 23 by much. I think it'll be a 24, maybe 25. But again, that's still, I mean, last year, if you had 25, you were tied for 11th in the country in turnovers. Um, you know, Cincinnati was the outlier at 34, which is kind of nuts. Unbelievable. But, you know, that's a that's a very well-coached team. It's a talented team in a, in a conference that isn't, you know, necessarily the best in competition with it. Um, but that's exactly what they should be doing, frankly. So I think, I th again, I'll, I'll buy that they go over 23 
but I don't think it'll be my much. And I think it'll be more forced fumbles than it is interceptions. So what if I told you um, Oregon has more, has gained more turnovers than Georgia has in what is that? Three of the last four seasons or four of the last five seasons. Yep. And the only year in which Oregon didn't outgain Georgia in turnovers was 2020 because uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, they played a full season of football. Oregon played seven because of COVID and the pandemic. Um, so the scheme from just a pure data standpoint that Oregon was running created more turnovers than what Georgia did. Now, it's not 100% apples to apples, different conferences, better talent at the SEC than in the Pac-12. Um, that has to factor into it there. So Oregon is Oregon is accustomed to creating a bunch of turnovers. And I, I think the scheme adjustment that Oregon will make will only enhance um, the, the turnovers created, especially with the talent drop that Lanning will be facing in the Pac-12 opposed to playing uh, or coaching, I guess, in the SEC. So I'm going to buy this as well. I, I just think um, this defense will create – on average, more than two turnovers per game, unless they play a little, you know, thirteen or fourteen games, which I would expect them to to be right around that number as well. So um, it, it's going to be a, a defense that creates turnovers, and I think they've got the playmakers at all three levels to justify that that buy. Um, DJ Johnson, Swinson, Funa are terrific. Um, pass rushers. You've got some just ferocious linebackers in Sewell, uh, Bossa, Flo. And then in the back end, you've got some ball hawks. Um, Bennett is a is a guy that's had success in getting interceptions. Christian Gonzalez as well. Uh, and then you throw in Bridges and Addison's height. And you're, you're, you've got the rest to be there to, to create some turnovers via interceptions. So um, I, I'm buying this as well. I, I think the defense could be in a place to be pretty special in 2022. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we'll we'll finish up this podcast. Uh, and you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Um, buying or selling day. We brought this up um, off. Show hand. Uh, well, Oregon's offense throw for thirty two hundred or more yards um, in twenty twenty two. This isn't. We should note this isn't Oregon's starting quarterback because hey, like while I necessarily don't think it's going to happen, we could see a change at quarterback mid year, or a guy could get hurt right. uh, mid year, um, and that kind of impact the individual award. So we're we're going with. 
the team perspective here. And will they throw for 3,200 or more yards in 2022? This is a t- this is really a hard one for me. I think my inclination is I'm, I'm going to sell. Um, you look at what Bone Nix, and again, now I, I, I now I'm putting the cart before the horse with who the quarterback is going to be because that's not fully decided, even though I think we all expect that's what will happen. But Bone Nix's best year at Auburn was 2,500 yards. His freshman year, that was with Dillingham as the coordinator. I think Oregon's offense will be more explosive than that, but 3,200 is actually a pretty good total. Um, you go back and look at what Oregon has done recently. That's not a number they hit like every year. And I know you think, I think, I think people are probably going to expect me to buy here or, or people would lean by just because the offense looks so explosive in the spring game. I'm not saying that's an aberration, but like it's probably not. And maybe it will be. It's probably shouldn't be the expectation you'll con- connect on a pair of 70-yard passes every game or a 40-yard pass every game like they did. And so I, I think that they'll get close to three. I, probably, I think they'll eclipse 3,000. I think this is a good line. I'm going to say that I'm going to sell, but I'm going to say it's pretty close. Like they're probably over 3,000, but 3,200 is a, a good number. I think I'm also learning from a year ago where we set the line similar for Anthony Brown, and he didn't really come very close. I'm buying. I, I think it – should probably be surpassed kind of easily. Uh, Oregon finished with almost 3,100 yards last year, 3,098 to be specific. Um, and that was in an offense where they probably ran 70% of the time and threw 30% of the time unless they were down in a game, which they would run 60% of the time and throw 40% of the time. So a run-happy offense is no longer the case. Oregon will obviously still run the ball because they have really good talent, the offensive line, the running back, et cetera, et cetera. But I still anticipate if there's going to be four plays or five plays, like the majority of them are going to be passing attempts. Um, I think Knicks is finally going against defenses that aren't Alabama or Georgia or LSU or Texas A&M or just really good defenses in general. So I think that's going to help a lot for him. Not to say the Pac-12 doesn't have good defenses, but it's not SEC-level defenses. So – and obviously his relationship with Kenny Dillingham is strong. Um, you know, Eric just mentioned he threw for the most amount of yards in his career under under Dillingham as offensive coordinator at Auburn as a freshman. He's back now as a senior. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential to throw for more than 3,200 yards. It'll always come down to who the starting quarterback is, um, injuries, all that stuff. But just a surface-level thing right now, I wouldn't be surprised – if, if Oregon got 100 more yards in a season to get the 3,200 yards compared to, the, compared to last year. I know they played 14 games last year, which may or may not happen this next season, but I, I would anticipate they play 13 games. So another 200 yards. I mean, Anthony Brown was thrown for 221 yards a game. I think whoever is the starting quarterback for Oregon can surpass that especially with what the offense has shown, at least so far, what the fundamentals are and what they want to do. So I'm buying 100%. So since 2016, this has happened twice. Um, In 2019, Herbert is his senior year. uh, He did it by himself. He threw for 3,400 yards, um, and the team went for 3,600. The year before, in 2018, um, they did it as well, thanks to punter Blake Mamone's 28-yard pass, which put them over the 
threshold. So maybe that's like one and a half, um, but we'll count it. It counts. It counts. Uh, 2020, the COVID year, uh, Oregon played seven games. And so that's one in which maybe you dig a little deeper, you you take out the average and you you multiply it by 13 because they were a bowl eligible team. Uh, and they are one yard short by that by that metric with 3,199 yards. So um, this is a team that's done it twice um, in, in four in six years. But I'm going to buy. Um, I, I, I think this is one I'm not as confident in as the other two, but I just maybe it's a little recency bias. But looking at what the offense, was and did in the spring game, knowing um, this offense wants to be a bit more aggressive. I think Jared made a great point that um, I think some of the play calling certainly impacted what happened in 2021 with Anthony Brown and his you know ability to throw the football deep. I, I think they could have clearly against Oklahoma, Brown showed he could make the plays. And I don't know why we didn't see any of that stuff until then. So I, I think with an adjusted, uh, you know, play call distribution with a, a little bit more aggressive head coach uh, who's willing to take some shots um, combined with, quite frankly, um, more talented receivers, I, I think potential talent receive, you know, in the receiving core than the last couple of seasons. Um, I think that will make for a recipe where Oregon gets over the 3,200 threshold, but if, if it was 3,400 or like we originally set it at 3,500, I would, I would not buy. I, 32 is, I think, very, very, very difficult to make a pick here. Jared, what, what, if it was 35, would you have bought it? Probably not. There were only like 20 teams last year to get over 3,500 yards, and those were all like you know, very pass-heavy teams, like an Ole Miss or something like that. And Ole Miss barely snuck in. I think it was mostly because Matt Corral was injured for the last couple of games. But 35, I wouldn't buy. Unless you're Western Kentucky, is, uh, then you're buying all day. And one stat I wanted to throw out, and I guess I, I maybe got lost a little bit. I was thinking individual quarterback, and I know Matt, Matt specified differently. Um, in the history of Oregon football, five quarterbacks have thrown for more than 3,200 yards in a season. So I was, I guess, trying to be a little bit conservative of not building it up as like Bo Nix is going to have a top five single season passing season, which it sounds like he, he might. And, and, and But I think the other part in terms of making an assessment of like how many – like assuming Bo Nix is the quarterback, how many opportunities will the other quarterbacks have to come in and throw the football around? Assuming every, assuming it's full health, um, is is Oregon going to be in a position this year? And this speaks a little to like our expectations for the team, I guess, to be ahead so much that they are able to throw in the third and fourth quarter with their backups, which we just haven't seen the last two or three years. I know that was a byproduct, a bit of uh, some kind of offensive st- you know strategy and philosophy and just in, in general. But I think that's another component here of like will Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield. Tom Snee, hypothetically, I guess Blake Maimon being, you know, the punter, you never know. Maybe Chris Hudson, we just saw him throw a couple or try to throw a couple in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Hutchinson. Will Hutchinson yeah. could be the could be the punter over Snee. We don't know what happened there. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, some of some of the getting to that as a team is, as opposed to the individual passer will depend upon kind of what they how quickly they're able to finish teams off. And 
and continue throwing. Because, like, I look at this list and, and Marcus Mariota threw for, like, almost 4,500 yards in his final season. They were so dominant in a lot of those games that if he would have played all four quarters, it's probably close to, like, 5,000. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just curious on what the impacts of that will be. So, um, I think I it's, think it's – it's a worthy question. I mean, that, just looking at the schedule, like I feel like there's really only four games that we can sit here at the end of April and say, like, this is going to be an opportunity for for Oregon's backups to potentially get in the game. Who who knows if it's even like a full quarter if, or if it's just like two or three series. Right. I think those games are Eastern Washington, um, which is the second week of the season in Eugene, um, Stanford game in Eugene, which is October one. Uh, I would also say the Colorado game on the road and then the Washington game um, at home. I, I think the Huskies could be pretty bad. Um, but Utah certainly isn't one. I don't think Oregon State is. I don't think Cal will be. Um, that's a, a road game. I don't think UCLA will be. Uh, Tucson against Arizona will not be one in my eyes. Washington State, BYU, and Georgia. I mean, are there games you don't have, you you don't have Georgia on that list? You think Oregon could get blown out in that one? <laughs> no, no, no. You don't think Oregon's going to blow out Georgia, Matt? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, and uh, what, what? And I guess just I know we've turned this into a non-buy sell component here on this podcast, but it's kind of interesting to talk about the the other part here is if, if these are close games that Oregon is trailing in the fourth quarter, that could lead to more passing yards. Yeah. Like if these are all really competitive games, Bo Nix or whoever the starter is will be potentially throwing for more yards. Um, you know, the old Matt Ryan spe- special in the NFL, if you're like a fantasy football guy of like, oh, oh the, the Falcons are down. He has 220 yards going into the fourth, and he throws for like 400. Down by 18. Yards. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, and, and I'm not putting that on Oregon because I don't think Oregon's going to be in a lot of those situations. But like hypothetically, could we see some of that as well in terms of like I, – I, I was trying to find an excuse for like backups not throwing a lot, but if these are all really competitive games, maybe it, it actually – helps getting that over because I mean, it's been a long time. That might be Georgia. You know, it might be a game where they're, you know, trying to fight off being down two scores. I also think Arizona is a candidate, even though I, I think Arizona is really going to improve to be, I mean, that team didn't, didn't win a lot of games last year. So that would be another game to you're running through the schedule. Uh, that cut, kind of caught my ears. And, and Washington as being a blowout is, is bold. Although, although I will say like, I'm not thrilled with everything that's going on up there um or maybe i am but if i'm a washington fan i'm not super enthusiastic based on that was the one i was least confident in but because it's in eugene i I slid it in there um i mean yeah it's good that's gonna be those games are always tough i don't know i mean unless it's the 2016 huskies that those games are usually pretty close especially i mean even last year with, with where oregon was everybody expected it to be a blowout but not so fast the, the last three years have been. I really think weather good. impacted last season. Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, Definitely did. for sure. The, I was just gonna just gonna say that the last three years have been close. But if you go look at the fifteen or whatever before that, Oregon won a bunch by a lot of points, and Washington had those two years in a row where Oregon was really down, or Brax or the backup quarterback was in, where they won by mm-hmm. a, sh- a lot. Yeah, yeah, I was there. I was there. No <laughs> worries. All right. Uh, That's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back uh, on Monday with a mailbag and then later on next week as well. So until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.